With us in the studio is Claudia Hammond, an award-winning broadcaster, author and psychology lecturer. She presents several podcasts and radio shows, including All in the Mind on BBC Radio 4, which covers psychology, neuroscience and mental health. And she also presents the weekly global health show Health Check on BBC on BBC World Service. Uh, she's, a visit- she's visiting professor of the public understanding of psychology at the University of Sussex, and she gives talks on psychology right around the world. And we're lucky to have her here in New Zealand. Her latest book, The Keys to Kindness, is the result of the world's largest public science project on the subject of kindness. Kia ora, good evening, Toria. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. What brings you to New Zealand? Uh, actually, my best friend from school lives here, um, and she lives in Aratown, so I've come to see her. So I last came to New Zealand 23 years ago, and I've, I've come back again to see her. I have seen her in between in other places, just not here. But I love New Zealand. It's great. So we've been having an amazing time. It's just so beautiful. Oh, wonderful. So you're here for a little while longer? Yeah, I've been here. We've been here about five weeks, and we've got another 10 days. So we have been all over the place, a lot of the time on the South Island. So we've... We've been lucky and escaped some of the weather. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> maybe not in now. The, in the yeah. next few days. Um, you've written books on a variety of subjects. Money. Uh, I'd like to look at that one because it's about the psychology of how we think about money. Yeah. And so, I mean, the reason I wrote that book was because I think that most people tend to think that they're very good with money and that we tend to all think that we make quite good decisions about it, whether we have any or not. But actually, the evidence shows that's not the case and that often we don't make the most logical decisions about it at all. And so I wanted to look at, you know, the best studies from psychology and neuroscience from around the world to see, well, what can we learn about how we could make better decisions about money? I mean, we sometimes do things that aren't aren't logical at all like we will um we know from experiments people will drive miles and miles maybe drive 20 miles to save 20 dollars on something that costs 60 dollars but they won't drive miles to save 20 dollars on something really expensive like a second-hand car or something that costs you know two thousand dollars they won't drive to save that same 20 pounds 20 dollars or 20 pounds it's all 20 dollars you know it's all worth saving but we don't we make these slightly strange decisions about it and feelings and respite and rest and now kindness. So what led you to the subject of kindness? Yeah, I mean, it was the pandemic, really. So it was, you know, during one of the you know many lockdowns um, in the UK, um, I noticed that there just seemed to be loads of instances of kindness going on. You know, everyone was having a terrible time. People were in it together in one way, but of course it was worse for some than for others. And yet people were doing all sorts of kind things for each other. And like, you know, I live in London and in our street, you know, a WhatsApp group started straight away, like in, in many places in the world, and people were helping each other in all sorts of ways. And that has stayed on. And it just got me really interested in thinking, well, what is it that prompts people to be kind? And it it seems to be such a powerful thing that I wanted to look at what is the evidence about what it does for us being kind as well as receiving kindness and how can can we get more of it? Right, so there's your your base point, your starting point. Where did you go from there? Yeah, so so again I looked, you know, around the world for the best studies that have been done in psychology and and neuroscience because everything I do I always want to base it on evidence. You know, it's not just what I think. This is what experiments and and evidence has found. And so, and, and one of the big things is that kindness, being kind is good for us. It's obvious that when someone is kind to you, that that's nice. But also when you are kind to someone else, it has real tangible, measurable, measurable benefits for your well-being. And those those can really last. So there was an experiment, for example, done in uh, in Madrid, in, in Spain, at Coca-Cola's headquarters that they have in Spain. And they 
took a number of people and they got half of them to plan kind acts to do for their colleagues over the next month. And they told them a list of 10 names of colleagues to be kind to. And these colleagues didn't know what was going on. They thought it was just something to do with well-being and satisfaction at work. And they had to, on, a, on one day each week, they had to do five kind things for people. And then they measured their well-being beforehand and the well-being of the people receiving the kindness. And they found at the end of the month that the well-being and the work satisfaction of both lots had gone up, the people receiving and the people giving. But a month after that, after the experiment wasn't going anymore, those benefits stayed for those who'd been doing the kind acts. And so, and there is, there is lots of evidence that thinks things like, you know, volunteering or donating to charity or even small acts of kindness have a real impact on our well-being. And they can be tiny things. You know, it can stretch right to saving someone's life, you know, an act of heroism, but it can be something really small and every day as well. And the Coca-Cola offices in Spain, um, would it be like making someone a cup of tea? Yeah, tiny things. So like making someone a cup of tea, telling someone you thought their work was good that they'd done. So often, you know, we might think someone's did something well, but maybe just email them and tell them. And as long as it's authentic, obviously, if you keep doing it every single day, people are going to think, well, I don't know what she's doing. But if, (laughs) if it's authentic and real, then, you know, if you like something, tell people that that was that that was good and that and we know these really small acts make a difference that they don't have to be really big some people pretend to be kind though don't they not really kind and we suss them out fairly easily exactly yeah no it needs to be authentic so you do need to you do need to want to do those kind things but in this um big piece of research that that you mentioned the kindness test that i did with my colleagues at, at sussex university um you know 60,000 people from all around the world took part and we asked people what sorts of kind things they did for people and they were really small and so in fact you know the most common things were um, things like uh, you know helping people when they ask uh, not minding doing favours for friends slightly rudging there maybe but opening doors (laughs) for others helping strangers pick things up having concerned feelings and in a way these are sort of mundane things but they're small drops and they all add up and there's good evidence that when people are kind that it passes on you know that people pay it forward if someone is kind to them they do it and if you start looking out for the kindness around you see it all the time and I kept a a kindness diary when I was writing the book and of things that I noticed other people doing or things people did for me often you know strangers on trains and buses and things like that and it happens all the time and and now you can't sort of stop noticing it so I was in I was in Wellington the other day and I, I left my jacket behind in a bar and the barman came running after us with my jacket and I was really pleased because I got my jacket back and you could tell he was also pleased because he'd he'd matched this up and he'd done that and then I was in um uh Coromandel just just the other day just you know seeing Cathedral Cove not not a day before that landslide exactly we did we did sit on the uh right under the tree by that to, to get some shade um but um luckily it wasn't that day and there wasn't anybody there when it did happen but there my um partner left his uh, sunglasses on the boat when we got the boat back and so we waited for the next boat and they um, had saved the sunglasses for him and again we're really pleased to get them back and we're not just going around New Zealand leaving things places I, I should stress <laughs> but um, it, it's, so, it's so noticeable how they enjoy the kind act as well you know that it's all been matched up and that these things make a difference 
And for some people, particularly, I think, with kindness to strangers, just smiling at a stranger can be a kind act or talking to them um, or, you know, having a chat with a shopkeeper when you're, you know, really brief chat. And I think sometimes people think, well, these are shallow conversations. They don't they don't mean enough. But actually, the research shows that they do and that it could be the only conversation someone's having and that actually whenever people are kind, it makes us all feel more connected because there are all these bad things happening in the world, you know, and inevitably... The news covers, you know, has to cover the bad things that happen because those are the things we need to know about. But we also know from psychological studies that those negative things are more salient. We notice them more. We remember them better. And so making an effort to try and notice some of the good things, kindness is one way of doing that, that Mm. there is, there really is, there is cruelty. There are terrible things. There really is more kindness in the world than we think. Is it a natural state of being for a human to be kind? Well, uh, yeah, I think it is. Because if you look at um, the studies that have been done on toddlers, I mean, they you, you may think, you know, toddlers, terrible twos, tantrums, how could they possibly be kind? But actually, and I, I love these experiments, they're, they're some of my favourites, they do things like they get an adult who's carrying a pile of magazines and they need to open a cupboard door, but they can't because they've got the magazines in their hand. And then they wait to see, will toddlers help them? And even 18-month-year-olds will help them. So in trials, 91% of 18-month-year-olds want to go and open the door and do the thing. And then they make it harder by making it so that they're playing a game they really like while the adult needs the help. Will they leave the game then they make it even harder by giving them a game they really like and making them climb over obstacles will they do all that and still help the person and yes again in the majority of cases they will so i think it's almost as if we are primed to be kind i think i believe we have evolved to be kind because human uh, you know human surviving does rely on cooperation and and living in living in groups and so Kindness is, you know, the basis of relationships and relationships are a real human strength that uh, friendships and relationships of all kinds that keep people going um, and help us survive. So, so I believe we have evolved to be kind and that we start out trying to be kind in a way. You know, one, one researcher calls, calls toddlers indiscriminate altruists. You know, they find they will be kind to anyone. They'll be kind to other toddlers in, on occasion and to adults and to other children, even though they haven't, there's nothing in it you know, for them. They will start out trying to do that. Yeah, why are we unkind then? Well, I think sometimes it's not easy to then be, be kind all the time and it all depends um, what experiences people have had and whether people have life experiences which then teach them that they that they can't trust people and that people, you know, aren't kind. If, they, if they've had experience of that, then that can make it harder to then be kind themselves. Although, of course, we know that there are people who've been through terrible things and will still be absolutely determined to be kind to other people. But one of the things that I like that we've, we found in the, the kindness test was that two-thirds of people told us they thought people had become kinder during the pandemic. Well, you don't get a reward for being... Oh, perhaps you do get a reward for being unkind, do you? Uh, well, I mean, it depends. I, I suppose you could... If you steal some money from somebody, it's unkind, but you've got a, you've got a financial reward there. Um, what you don't get, it's true, is the same feeling of feeling good. I mean, you can, you can see the reward centres in the brain be activated if you put somebody in a brain scanner and give them an opportunity to do- donate money, say, to different um, charities and let them choose what causes. You can see a, the reward centre is, you know, is activated, that our, our brains are, if you like, priming us to be kind. They're rewarding us when we do it and making us feel good when we do it. And 
which is why we like doing it and why it's a good idea to, you know, even just improve your own well-being. You could do more kind things as long as they are, you know, well-intentioned and well-meant and still authentic. Right. Um, I'm just reading this very interesting article about kindness in the workplace that's uh, come from your book. <laughs> and um, you mention our ex-Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. And the word here, kind, has taken on a political overtone uh, because uh, Jacinda Ardern used it a lot. Um, well, it was the catchword, really, of the COVID pandemic in New Zealand. So uh, and, and for some people, it has a negative overtone. Yeah, and I think that there are there are ways in which the phrases like be kind has been have been weaponized and you know sometimes you'll see people on social media using that the sort of hashtag be kind to to shut other people down rather than to to listen to them and i um, and i i i think it's really refreshing to see leaders uh and some leaders and and, and leaders some leaders in business as well talking about being kind and not seeing and saying kindness is a strength um rather than a weakness i think it might be difficult in in politics, because it could be a bit of a hostage to fortune, because, of course, anybody who's not think, finding things kind will say, well, what's kind about, I don't know, having to go to a food bank or what's kind about not being able to get a job? So I think I think it, there's difficulties in that way. But I think that if people and, and you know, people will have different political views and, and different views on, on whether she is or is or isn't kind. But I think it's brave to be talking about kindness. And I think that it's been something that has been seen as soft rather than something that, that could be a strength for people. Right, and it's easy for most people to be kind at home uh, with our family and with our friends. Uh, you know, that's not a difficult thing to do. Uh, when we bring ourselves into the workplace, there's a lot of unkindness that goes on in the workplace, and there's a lot that comes from the top. And, and that is, in your view, not a particularly good leadership style? Yeah, I think it's not. I think that um, if you look at the evidence, uh, kind leaders do actually do better. So there's some really interesting research from the States where they they looked at 50,000 leaders and they got pe- their staff to do 360-degree feedback on them, so where staff say what they think of their bosses. And they found that those who scored high on things like likability and kindness were had a much higher chance of also scoring high on being effective leaders and of being successful in their jobs. And in fact, it was so rare for somebody to be classed as unlikable, but also to be successful and effective in their job, that there was only a one in 2,000 chance of that happening. Gee. So actually, you know, mean bosses don't get very far. Um, you know, they may in the short term force everybody to do stuff, but what you want is, you know, loyal staff who will, uh, you know, back things and, and go the extra mile and, and feel that they're all in this shared enterprise together, which you're much more likely to get by being kind to staff rather than being um, mean to them. And there's a whole field in psychology called ethical leadership. And I think it's really interesting. It's not called kind leadership. I think it's interesting that that, that word has been used instead. And, and one of the things they found is the advantage of ethical leadership is that anyone can do it. It's not necessarily easy, but anyone can do it. Whereas things like charismatic leadership if people don't have charisma it's very hard to teach people to have charisma whereas people can be taught to be ethical leaders um and well, it's a good word yeah. in that respect then it is a good word yeah yeah, yeah. the take up would be would be it, it's higher exactly yes. you know we want people to do it but i think and it and it's and it's not soft because it can be difficult because if you Think of a situation, say, where um, one person isn't pulling their weight and everyone else in the office, say, is having to do their work for them. You could say, oh, well, the kind boss would just leave that person alone and, and, and not say anything. But actually, that's not kind to all the others who are doing their work for them. So the kind ethical boss 
has to sit down and have a difficult conversation with that person about why perhaps they're not doing enough, why they um, perhaps find it, are they finding it too difficult? Do they not like it? Do they think it's boring? You know, what are they kind of in the wrong job? Do they need to, to, to move to somewhere else in some other way? And and those are difficult things, but would be the ethical thing to do. And yeah, awkward to, to do. And yeah. Some people might not know how to approach that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Aw- awkward and difficult, but fair on every fair on everyone else and so this is why i think that you know kindness isn't isn't soft because it it can be difficult to do that and so the kind boss will be taking into account well how is everybody managing their their work how is how, how is this working the kind boss will make it so that they really listen to people that they you know my door is always open they'll say but their door that their door really is open that they really will listen to what people have to say and try to act on it when they can and i'm not saying any of that is easy you know i don't think it's easy because i I don't think I mean I'm, I'm lucky because I'm not a boss, but being a boss isn't easy anyway. But I think being a kind boss isn't necessarily easy, but it can be really, really effective and really have results. And people and we all remember our kind bosses forever. Yes, we do. But uh, there, there'll be some people listening to this going, oh, no way, uh, sarcastically thinking, you know, uh, my workplace isn't like that, and yeah. you know, yeah. we just get on with it. Yeah, and it's true that lots of places, workplaces, aren't like that. Although it's interesting that one of the things we found in the kindness test was that we asked people where they saw kindness, and at home was the main first place. Yes. Medical settings were second, right? But the workplace was third, was it? Which okay. is is you know not as not as bad as as you might think. Um, and I wonder if things are changing in the workplace a bit. You know, bullying is certainly becoming. Uh, much less acceptable than it was even, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, Perhaps not in big corporations that might be the case because they'll they'll have a, you know, HR team policies. and yeah. policies and, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're trying to adhere to those. But in a smaller environment or one where there's none of that going on? Yeah, yeah, and it can be difficult in smaller places. And I think particularly if, you know, if people haven't got enough staff and, of course, there's, you know, lots of issues with staff shortages at the moment, then more and more work can fall on certain people. And that can be the moment when, of course, it's very stressful for the boss and difficult, but where the kindness matters more than ever to the success, because then uh, one thing we know is that if people believe they have a kind boss, they are much less likely to say that they would like to leave within the next year. And staff retention is something that leads to success for for companies, small or large. Absolutely. I love this phrase, and perhaps you haven't made it up, but it's something called organisational citizenship (laughs) behaviour. Yeah, yeah. And this is is something that's that's been around in in organisational psychology, which is that... There are little things that we do at work, like, you know, putting paper in the printer when it's run out or reporting the printer when it's broken. Some people do. Some people do, yes. yes. But as soon as people start being unhappy um, and feeling undervalued and if they have a boss that is not kind, people are much less likely to do those. And so they withdraw, they'll do their job, but they won't do those extra things. And it's those extra things which make it a better place for everybody. And that can be a really first sign when people all stop doing those things. It can be a really first sign that that things are really going wrong here and that people are not feeling valued. How interesting. So it's a sign of withdrawal. It is a sign of withdrawal, yeah. And you'll do your job, but you think, well, but I'm not doing that because nobody cares. You know, they're not valuing me here from above, so why should I do that? So I won't bother to do the dishes yeah. that are on the bench yeah. or to water the pot plants. Yeah. Or... yeah, and so it can be a sign that things are starting to 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 fall apart slightly and, that that, and that's when you then get individuals deciding, well, actually, do I want to work in this place? You know, do I want to work somewhere nicer? And, and retaining staff and making them feel valued is 
is so important to success. So I would say to the, the people who think, oh, but this is all soft and bosses can't just be kind. If you want to retain your staff, then it's a really important thing to do. But if you're an employer who really has no notion of kindness, just <laughs> they're not going to notice that, are they? They're not going to notice the withdrawal. They're just going to think, they're going to be harder on the on the staff who they think are, are not cooperating or aren't fitting in with the company policy. Yeah, so that's where that's when they should not, not just automatically be so take a sort of knee-jerk reaction of being harder on them but to kind of ask ask themselves well what what's going on here what is it that would make these staff feel valued and to then start asking staff what they think about the place what they think about how things are done and taking seriously people's suggestions about how things could be done differently you know staff themselves often have really good ideas about how things can be done more efficiently you know they they notice what's going on in a place but oftentimes um, staff don't want to uh, tell the truth if they won't tell the truth, if they feel they haven't got a kind boss and that they can't, yeah. So it's a question of trying to create, too, yeah, you've got to create this open cooperative atmosphere where people feel that they can and people feel that they want to and to and that they feel this is a team worth working for, if you like, a team that includes the boss. I've been playing a bit of a tribute tonight to Burt Bacharach. Oh, I love Burt Bacharach. I saw, saw him perform a few, a few years ago in, in London and it was just amazing. And, and he has written almost, I mean, not every song you can think of, but just so many. When you see the list of all the things he's done, it's amazing. Phenomenal. And I was just, um, just dwelling on it before in terms of um, Hal David as the lyricist and Burt Bacharach as the composer, but so many of those themes are about love and kindness yeah, and yeah. You know, how we can be a better yeah. Society. Yeah, no, they they absolutely are, and I and I think it is, and it's interesting how often that does come up in, in music. Really, you know, there's plenty of music about broken hearts, but there's also plenty of music about relationships and love and kindness is at the basis of those. All right, so we're, if we all took note of uh, being kind, would the world's problems be solved, do you think? <laughs> I don't think all the world's problems would be solved. I think They might be. They might be. Well, some of them would be. I mean, we can't yeah. just have kindness alone. They're still going to need, you know, say, you know, social campaigning. You're still going to need social justice. You're still, there's still going to be issues going on. But I think that, I mean, one of the things, one of the chapters in the book is about how to see things from other people's perspective and what the research shows about that. And I think seeing things from another pers- another's perspective is a key thing towards getting cooperation and towards Im- improving societies. Oh, absolutely. Uh, particularly when people have become so polarised. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, and that's really challenging. Yeah. Yes, so how do we see things from someone else's perspective? What, what are some of the, you know, we, we can go, okay, I want to be able to understand the situation I'm in from the other person or people's perspective. So what are the, how do we do that? Yeah, ourselves? so there's all sorts of experiments where they get people to, you know, put themselves in, in other people's shoes. And actually, one of the best ways of doing it, one of the best ways of improving empathy for other people that's been shown in research is is reading novels because what better way is there to get inside other people's heads than to read novels that are telling you what this other person thinks. And we are taken into a world of, you can be taken into a world in a novel of of somebody who lives a life so different from yours with such different motivations from you in you know maybe a completely different part of the world and to understand where they're coming from on that and so there's lots of interesting research mostly from from Canada about how reading novels can improve your 
empathy. That's brilliant. That's great. I get more people reading, uh, whether it's uh, the hard copy or online. Exactly. Yeah, no, no. Reading novels is a, is a great way of doing it. So uh, one would think, from what you're saying, that um, there's some form, form of maturity needed here to have emotional empathy like that. Is it something that um, comes e- becomes easier as you get older? I think that, that's such an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, you do find... Uh, empathy levels tend to be higher as people are older and so do so do kindness levels and I think partly uh, and actually you know but we found in the kindness test you know quite high levels of kindness overall they did get slightly higher as people got older the the older people had higher levels of kindness and so say the people in their 20s in experiments sometimes come out as a bit less kind than when people are older but I think that is about people you know, finding their finding their way at that time and trying to trying to work out. There are more challenges in some ways, and so people are trying to find their way. I don't think it's that people in their twenties are mean. You know, it's just it's just that those things, as you say, come with maturity. It comes from experience and and understanding other people's perspective and looking at that and and feeling that there are fewer fewer challenges for yourself can make it yeah, yeah, a uh, bit easier as uh, well. No, I don't think people in their twenties are mean either. No, um, and no, and, and actually, personality always makes more of a difference. So you know, people. So uh, on average, women will score slightly higher on kindness scales than men do. Um, but by far the biggest thing, and bigger than age as well, is personality. So people who score high on extroversion um, tend to score more highly on kindness scales. And I think that's partly because they are prepared to be kind to strangers because they're not so embarrassed about doing that. Oh, that's fascinating. And how does a person who is naturally kind, and, and, and you know, there are people who are just intrinsically kind, how do they fare in a world that's a little bit unkind? You know, how do they keep their... Um, the sanity. Yeah, well, interestingly, I mean, we found that people who, the people who are kinder and the people who notice more kindness around them have higher levels of well-being on average. So in a way, they, 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 do, they keep time. their sanity by being <laughs> kind, exactly, because they're getting this reward all the time from being kind. Um, and because we know, you know, people kind of pay it back and that it's contagious, they receive more kind acts as well. So, so in a way, that, you know, that's how they're, they're keeping sane is, is by doing that. Should we look for opportunities? To yeah, be- definitely, definitely, because we ask people what stopped them being kinder. And one of the and the, the barrier that came out the highest was fear of being misinterpreted. So people were and more so than, say, not having time to be kind, which came next. But that and we were really, really struck by this, that that people are afraid, particularly if they're, you know, in the in the street, that they may have got the situation slightly wrong or they may look slightly stupid. And and when I was keeping my kindness diary, I mean, I noticed this in myself and I um, think of myself as a – or did did think of myself as a kind of hesitant helper. I would see a situation like one time I was run, out running and, uh, and I saw a, a couple who were getting a, a double mattress out of a van and struggling to try to get it into their – gate um and i didn't ha- wasn't carrying anything i had trainers on i thought i could help them with that um and then i thought would they like me offering them help or, or would they think that i thought they couldn't do it and then when i got to them because they were at the other end of the street they'd already gone in a gate and were taking it up an outside staircase and i'd have had to go in their high gate sort of let myself in in order to offer the help <laughs> and then i just thought oh no i can't do that so then no. i went past and then i thought well actually would it be the end of the world if I had just called over and said, do you want a hand? I'll, I'll help you take that up the stairs. Um, and if they said, no, we're all right, or what do you think you're doing by our gate, then so what? I'm never going to see them again. It's okay. So so one thing I have 
decided to try to do from from writing this book is um, not to be a hesitant helper. To to think, yeah, the worst that happens is I'm a bit embarrassed, and I'm going to I'm going to offer the help and see what happens. Because there's a reward. Because there's a reward. Exactly. <laughs> It'll make me feel good, and it will make them feel good. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the keys to kindness, and it's out now, and uh, just one of many of your books. So congratulations on the book. Thank you. And you said you saw you saw Bert Bacharach in concert. Where did you see? Yeah, him? I saw him at, at um, the Roundhouse uh, venue in London, and. Um, uh, and it, you know, it wasn't that that very long. That wasn't that long ago. So, um, and it was just amazing. And he had lots of um, guest guest singers come and sing some of his some of his songs. And it, just to hear that list of hits, I mean, they were just. He's written everything. He's written everything. Yeah. Who, who was on the bill? Who? who oh, who I'm trying to artists? remember. Oh, um, Jamie. Um, oh, what's he called? He's quite little, and he plays the piano. I'm terrible at people's <laughs> names. I forget them. <laughs> Um, and and he Helen? he was uh, no no what's he called and he was he was on top of the piano and and dancing and Jamie. Um, we'll call him it was Jamie. amazing it was amazing yeah uh, but um, and then he, and then he did some him you know he did perform some himself as well but yeah amazing oh, show wonderful all right well I'm going to play a little bit of uh, Bert Bacharach now uh, this was B J Thomas and uh, from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid Did you lovely see that film? lovely yeah yeah I know it's like we know the song inside out and we go oh I've heard that a million times but every time you hear it you can't help but sing along exactly. to it this is thank you so much Claudia for joining us I hope you enjoy the rest of your trip around New Zealand thank you hope so and, yeah and yeah thanks so much for having me it's lovely to be here in person you've inspired us to be kind and to look for opportunities of kindness so thank you absolutely it's the key to happiness not just kindness